Welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. There's a a verse in the Bible that has really changed the way I, I see Christianity and changed what I, how I see the, what it means to walk with God. And Father Heart Ministries, I think, has given us insight into really the basic problems of people's lives and in a way that we've never really understood it before. That there is a there's something common to the problems that we see that between people and between churches and leaders in churches and, and even between nations. And what's happening in, in the act of redemption, it's not just that we're getting saved to go to heaven or escaping hell, but he's bringing us back home. Father is bringing us back to the place where we belong in his love. You see, he's, he's just he's reclaiming what has always been his. And that's you and me. And I, I was saying yesterday, I think, speaking with Phil, and I was saying, you know, the gospel is really, I've distilled the gospel down to this. God's kids get lost and he wants them to, he wants them to come home. <laughs> that's basically it. You know? And I, I want to look at an issue that, that caused him to need to redeem us. And I think a lot... I've always struggled with this idea of being lost and being brought back home because I and I think a lot of people have seen, you know, the fall of man as, as something in history that turned God against mankind. You know, the, the barrier of things sprung up and it God's, caused God to turn his face away from us. But actually, I, I hope over the course of these next few days I can show you that that's actually not true. And we want to look tonight, actually, in the meeting tonight, about, you know, did God really turn his face away from Jesus on the cross? You see, what, what happened when Adam sinned, Adam changed. But God didn't. Sin has no hold on him. Sin can have no effect upon God. So, you know, Adam, before he sinned, would come into the garden and walk with God in the cool of the day. Genesis, the book of Genesis tells us that and when he sinned and he didn't come to walk with God in the cool of the day instead he put on fig leaves and hid in the bushes so Adam changed sin changed him changed his behaviour changed how he approached God but it didn't change how God approached Adam because he still came into the garden looking for Adam you see when, when sin entered the world it didn't change our father it changed the man you know, when the, the son in Luke 15 wandered away from home, his experiences changed him. But when he came home, his father was still the same. You know, he'd, the man had lived as a son. He was walking with father, enjoying living in that place of love. I don't know how long that was for. A week, a thousand years, a million years, I don't know. And sin comes in, the man changes how he lives. And I just want to look at the result of that and the impact that's had on humanity. And there's a little verse in John's Gospel that I think is key to it. It's in, it's in John 14. I think it's a, a key scripture. In John chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus has just finished saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you, so that where I am you may also be, and I'm the way to the Father, all of these things. And then he said in, in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will come to you. And I wondered about that and I realized that Jesus said, I only speak the words my father has taught me or told me to say. And so what's actually happening is these words that Jesus is speaking here, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. They didn't originate with Jesus. They originated in the heart of the father. This is God the father speaking through his son. The problem is, you know, with him saying, I will not leave you as orphans. We know at least some of these young men that he's speaking to had fathers and mothers. You know, James and John were, were fishing with their father when Jesus called them. And their mother also came to Jesus and said, can my son sit at your left and your right? So they weren't orphans in any sense, humanly speaking. You know, Andrew and Peter were mending nets with their father when, they were, when, when Jesus came along. And so, these guys weren't orphans. Or, in, in Hebrew thinking, an orphan is someone with no father. You can have a mother but, and still be an orphan if you have no father. And so what God is saying to these, these guys are, you're orphans and I won't leave you that way. And I think that statement is broader than just those disciples. I think he's speaking to humanity, saying to humanity, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And I think that's the thing I've noticed in the scriptures. We always talk about the need to press into God and push on and push into the things of God. And I don't believe that's biblical. Because everything I see in scripture shows me that the Father is the one who takes the initiative to come to the people. He's the one who came to Adam in the garden. He's the one who sent the prophets and the kings and the priests and everything else to the people. He's the one who sent his son who came to us to bring us back. And just to understand a little bit about this orphanness, I want to take a, a, a trip through some of Old Testament verses. In Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12, I'm going through to verse 15. Isaiah says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. And so Isaiah is in the middle of prophesying to the king of Babylon. But as we look at the prophecy, we understand some of this doesn't apply to just a, um, this man who's king over Babylon. And most theologians today, I guess, would, would see this as speaking about Satan, his origin and fall, you know, and, and his, his willful sin and rebellion that says, I will establish myself. I will raise myself up. I will take his place and I, I kind of think as I look at the world that we take such pride in, in people being self made and it's almost like Satan is saying I will make myself I don't need God I don't need a father I don't need anyone else I will make myself I will become the ultimate authority I will take control and I will be in charge and it goes a little bit deeper in, in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12. 
read, Ezekiel says, You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz and emerald, chrysolite, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and beryl. Your settings and mountains were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. And Ezekiel is speaking to another king. He's speaking to the king of Tyre. But he can't be speaking about the king of Tyre because the king of Tyre was not in Eden, the garden of God. He did not walk in the fiery mount. He was not cast out of heaven, the mountain of God, as a profane thing. And this is speaking about Satan. Well, what the, the demonic being, the or personality that we call Satan. And he was driven out. He was cast out of, of, of the presence of God. You see, God is not God. <laughs> As I said before, you know, that's almost just like his job description. <laughs> who he is is Father. By nature, you see, a father is someone who imparts life. Not just at insemination, not just at conception, but someone who continues to impart life throughout the days of, of their, their, their offspring's lives. And so this father who imparted life to Adam at the very beginning and continued to impart life to him immediately tells us that by nature he is a father. He's one who imparts life on an ongoing basis. And so when Satan was cast out of that place, he was cast out of the, the presence of a father who was the one who imparted life even to, to the angels. And so he was cast out of a place that is jam-packed full of the love of a father. He didn't want God as his father. He didn't. It wasn't just God's love he didn't want. He didn't want a father who would determine life for him. You know, we can speak about the love of God in an abstract sense. Oh, God loves you. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it's a Father's love imparting life to us, nurturing us, growing us, developing us, sustaining us, enabling us. And He is a Father by nature. So heaven, the Mount of God, is a place that is jam-packed full of love, the love of the Father. It's not a choice he made. He didn't choose to become a father. It was not like a weekend hobby. You know, on Sundays, we go to church and meet with father. <laughs> it's just who he is. The one who imparts life. It's his nature. And so Satan is cast out of this place that is full of the nature and character and love of a father. And he becomes the ultimate fatherless one. You know, I will ascend, I will replace him, I will displace him. And he becomes this ultimate fatherless one, the orphan. 
And so he now has developed a system with all the values and ways of, of an orphan life. Rejecting anyone as an authority over him. He doesn't want anyone to have that place over his life. He's his own authority. He now has no home. Because he's been driven out of the place that would be home, if you like. And so in that sense, he's, he's shifted from being a son to an orphan because an orphan has no place of, no sense of a home. You may have a physical place to live, but in your heart, it's not home. While a son knows in his heart what it is to be home as he lives in the life that his father imparts to him. You know, an orphan has no sense of inheritance. No, nothing is a gift. Someone gives you something, then they must, be, they must have an angle. What are they after? What are they are they playing me? Are they scamming me? Am I going to owe them a favor at some point down the road? Because the orphan heart believes that nothing is a gift. No one gives you anything for nothing. And so Satan establishes this system that is a completely different way of living, a completely different set of values. And a completely different world to someone who's a son who's living in that flow of love from his father. And so Satan becomes this ultimate orphan spirit. That's great, but why does the Lord then say to humanity, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you? How did we get to that place? Well, we need to go back to Genesis. Where we see, as I said in the last session, we see his intent and his desire for mankind to know him, to walk with him in relationship as sons and daughters to a father. To be the father who's imparting life to us and, and building us up with life and affection. And if, if we can grasp that as his intention for mankind, you know when it says in John 3.16, God so loved the world he sent his son. That's what we're looking at way back in Genesis, that love, that impartation of life and care and, and fellowship and intimacy. And I believe that in this revelation of the Father, the love that was lost in Eden, the relationship and intimacy with the Father that was lost is what has been restored to the human race in this revelation. Because his love has never changed. Mankind has changed, but he has not. When the son came home in Luke 15, the father's love for him had not changed. Despite all the son had been through and done. And I believe there is an experience for every Christian to have the eyes of their hearts opened and receive an outpouring and expression of that love into their hearts. It's our heritage, it's part of our inheritance as sons and daughters. That the eyes of our hearts would be opened as Paul prays so that we would experience the love of the father in a, similar to Adam did that we would know the effect of that love upon our hearts and upon our spirits. Because when that love touches our hearts, there is a, a freedom and a joy, there is an unchaining of our lives that only love brings about, that only love enables to happen. And Adam lived in that environment of love. He and his wife, no words for pain or fear or rejection because none of that existed. There was no word for peace because that's all they knew. There was no alternative to peace. <laughs> That's just what they lived in. They couldn't define love because that's all they knew. They didn't know anything else other than what it was to live in a place of being loved. 
And we're always looking to define things and catalogue everything and because we're scared of getting it wrong. We're scared of being deceived. We're scared of being unbiblical. And so we live this fearful Christianity. But we weren't made to live that way. We were made to live in love. In a place of being loved. Our heritage is, is joy and safety and confidence and security. In love. And it's where he wants to take mankind back to. It's the future of humanity. But what happens in the garden is the man and the woman are caught in a really good trap. Traps are never obvious. That's why people get scammed and conned all the time in the world. Because it's never obvious. It it appeals to their greed. It appeals to something in their hearts. And that's what Satan did with the woman. He appealed to something in her heart. And he said... You will be like God. Wow. She's been walking with him in fellowship all of this time. And he's just amazing. I mean, he fills the whole place with love and beauty and grace. He's kind, he's tender, he's gentle, he's strong. And she's thinking, wow. I can get to be like him. All that love and goodness and wisdom. I mean, how many of us have not prayed that prayer? God, I just want to be like that. I want to be like you. I want to be like Jesus. She loved God. She absolutely wanted to be like him. And in addition, the fruit is is pleasing to the eye. It's it's attractive. It's aesthetic. It's beautiful. And it appeals to everything in her, in her femininity. And so she takes the fruit and she eats it. And what happens? Absolutely nothing. Until she gave the fruit to her husband and he ate it, then the eyes of them them both were opened. They had no idea of the consequences. You know, God said to him, don't eat from the the fruit of this tree or else you'll die. And I can imagine them saying, okay, right. And walking away and thinking, what does die mean? Nothing's died. Adam isn't decaying. He's going to live forever. And the whole thing, we'd suddenly realise life will never be the same for humanity because of this deceiving and sin. You know, in, in Genesis chapter 3, it's not that God isn't saying, isn't cursing the man and woman. He's telling them what death looks like. You know, we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become mother of all the living. And this is just after the Lord said to them, it's going to look like pain in childbirth. It's going to look like um, thorns and thistles growing out of the ground. It's going to look like your husband dominating you. The reason he's saying these things is because it was not like that before they sinned. There were no thorns and thistles stopping Adam from growing food. There was not going to be pain in childbirth the way women experience it now. There was no domination by the husband in their relationship. That was not what it was before the fall. And so we read this stuff because the fall has changed their relationship with each other, with God and with the earth that they live in. Everything has been changed and corrupted. And read, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. 
Isn't that interesting? Adam hasn't repented. In fact, when God said, what have you done? He said, it wasn't me. It's your fault. You put the woman here. He did, didn't he? He said, what are you talking about? The woman you put here, she gave me the fruit to eat. I didn't know. What an idiot. And so he's defiant in his sin. He's not repented. And God comes and takes the fig leaves from him and replaces them with animal skins, which are much softer, warmer, certainly a lot more comfortable than a fig leaf. One side of the fig leaf is nice, shiny, the other side is quite rough. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And so they're not to eat from the tree of life and live forever. And in order to prevent that from happening, he puts them out of the garden. And we think that this is God punishing the sinner. That's what I've been taught. God punishes the sinner. I don't think that's biblical. You see, God loves his son and his daughter. His love for them has not changed. But he knows if they stay in that garden and eat from the tree of life and live forever, what would they become? With the corruption and evil of sin working in their lives, he sees all that's good in them will break down. Everything in them just becomes filled with horror and despair and hopelessness and guilt and depression and shame, just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. He, have, have, who's, have you seen Lord of the Rings? Have you seen Gollum? What evil does to him, how it corrupts him, changes his character, his nature. And, you know, when he, at the start of the, the, the two towers, when he crawls into the cave, his last words are, we even forgot our own name. That's what would happen to Adam and his wife if they were still alive today, living in corruption. And so out of his love, he says, no, I, I can't allow this to continue. I can't let this happen to them. I can't let this happen to their children. And so he has to put them out of the place they love. This place where, that was home, that was only ever a place of security and, and safety. They were heartbroken. That's why they didn't go out. He had to drive. In fact, he didn't drive them out. If you read Genesis chapter 3, he only drove the man out. That's what it says. He drove the man out of the garden. But there's still that connection of oneness between them, so she went with him. You see, he can't stand to see what sin's going to do to them, and so he cuts them off from, from this source of eternal, eternal life. It was not a punishment. You know, when my mum sent me to those elocution lessons, I didn't understand what I'd done wrong. <laughs> I went to school Monday to Friday and did lessons. They sent me home with homework. And if that wasn't bad enough, my mum sent me back on Saturday morning to learn how to speak. Now, as far as I knew, I'd been speaking since I was about one years old. <coughs> Obviously not good enough. <laughs> or not well enough. 
And I didn't, I didn't get her love in that. And Adam didn't get his love from, from this either. He didn't understand it. And so what happens is he begins to turn his heart away from father because he's experiencing rejection. Now, he wasn't being rejected, but it's what he experienced in his heart. It was a sense of loss. Father never turned his heart away from Adam. No, he says in Malachi, doesn't he? I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you are not destroyed. I think we, we walk the same journey. We believe this lie that, you know, when we sin, Father turns his face away and can't look at us until we get our act together again. You know, we even look at the cross and say he turned his face from Jesus on the cross. You know, the horrible thing that happens, not only do they walk out of a relationship with God, but they begin to, the, the division starts to come between them. You know, the, the woman says, yes, I was deceived by the serpent and I ate it. But the man says, well, it was her. What did, what did his wife feel when he, he, he put the blame on, all of the blame onto her? She didn't trick him. She didn't use her feminine charms to, to deceive him. He, the Bible says that he was standing at her elbow when she took the fruit. See, I, if, if this demonic personality we call Satan was in the Garden of Eden, they would have been familiar with his presence. I don't think this was the first conversation they had with him. But perhaps it was the first conversation they had with him after he fell. You know, we, we talk about uh, the serpent in the garden, but actually the Hebrew word that we translate as serpent means hissing one. And it's not, it's not just talking about a snake, it's talking about one who whispers lies in your ear. And it can also mean, it can also come from a root word that, which means shining one. Which we, we see, you know, he's covered in all these gems. He, he's beautiful. He's beguiling. He whispers deceitful lies in their ear. It's, you know, Paul says, doesn't he, that even the, the devil can appear as an angel of light. Now, Satan's not this ugly little thing with horns and a tail. He's beautiful. Because that's how he was created. But who he is has become an ugly thing. And so she's tricked by this beautiful being who whispers lies in her ear. And as they're driven out of the garden, they're, they're walking out to make a new life for themselves. And in their hearts, they're walking out of his love. They feel rejected by Father, the, their relationship has changed, and, and so they begin to reject Father in their hearts. They begin to reject each other. Adam begins to try and dominate the woman. That's why he names her Eve. You see, he had spent time naming all of the animals. And when he named them, he took dominion over them. And he thought he could do the same to the woman. In this change of circumstances, sin is already corrupting him and bringing division between the man and the wife. And so he gives her a new name by which he tries to take dominion and authority over her that was not given to him by God. Men are not the boss. We're never intended to be the boss. They were intended to be partners. And so what has happened is this orphan spirit, Satan, 
along with the man and woman, they, they, they now are linked in a shared experience. You know, remember God the Father drove this angelic being out of his presence, out of heaven. And he drives the man out of the garden. And I just, I wonder, did Satan come and whisper in their ear, you see, that's what he did to me. I told you he would do it to you too. I told you he couldn't be trusted. He did the exact same to me. He drove me out as well, just because I wanted to be like him. He doesn't want to share anything with you. He wants it all for himself. He wants to control you and dominate you and, and telling all of these lies. You see, God's not to be trusted. He'll turn on you if you get it wrong. And so he brings Adam and his wife into a shared experience with him. Just as he was driven out of the place of father's love, so he brought man into that same experience of being driven out of the place of love. And so they begin to form a union and a, similar, a similarity is developing between them. It's almost like an unholy alliance of orphans in their hearts. They saw themselves as fatherless, I guess under, I can only guess, under Satan's tuition. And they began to live like fatherless people. Begin to fashion a new life in alliance with this being that we've called Lucifer or Satan. The thing is, we were in Adam and his wife. We were in them. And we think that when we go our own way and do our own thing, we're doing our own thing. No, we're not. We're not doing our own thing at all. You know, Paul tells us in Ephesians, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he's saying, you know, doing your own thing is not doing your own thing. Actually, what you're doing is following the ways of this orphan spirit and walking into an orphan life. And we think it's just normal that this is how the world works. The promise that, that the Lord gives in Revelation 20 says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him. Why? To keep him from deceiving the nations anymore. To stop him from dragging the, the nations deeper into that orphan way of life. That just continues to drive a bigger gulf between each other, each other and the humanity and God. He's deceived the whole world. Probably the biggest lie is, and deceit is that he doesn't exist. <laughs> but he has fashioned a whole way of living that is an orphan lifestyle, an orphan way of life. Out of his orphan experience of leaving the father's love and becoming the first fatherless one. And so democracy and capitalism... As great as we think they are, they are only the best way orphans have found to govern orphans. It's just the best system that orphans can devise. You know, this world system is buying and selling. It's the best system we can develop in this orphan world, where we're all out for ourselves. Get as much of the pie as I can get, not just my share, but your share as well. And it's all mine. 
But the system of God's kingdom is not buying and selling, it's giving and receiving. Freely you have received, now freely give. You see, this world systems are really the orphan systems that Satan has set up. And we've grown up in them. We think it's normal. We run church on the same orphan principles. And being born again does not break the orphan life. Yeah, it gets you forgiven and everything else. But, you know, I was taught that it was all done at the cross. You know, we don't need to do any of this other stuff of healing and blah, blah, blah. Now, being born again removes sin. It brings us into the kingdom. But the only way to break the orphan life is to introduce the orphaned heart to a father's love. Because if an orphan is someone who is not fathered, then the only way to change that state of heart is to introduce that orphaned heart to a place of being loved by a father. Instead of the systems we have of this is how you become a Christian, this is how you become a good Christian, this is how you, you become a better Christian, this is how you become a great Christian. This is the way to live if you want to be a bad Christian. <laughs> Those are orphan ways. Orphan systems of hierarchy and everything else. That's not the kingdom of, of our father. That's not, a, that's not a family situation. The only way to break that orphan life is to introduce that orphaned heart to a father's love. Because once you know what it is to be fathered by and loved by that father. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians 6.18, we read that God, God says, Come out from amongst them. I will be a father to you. Not I will be your father, but I will be a father to you. In other words, I will do the things for you that a father should be doing for his children. I will impart the life that is necessary for you to live as sons and daughters. And as I love you and be a father to you, you will begin to walk as sons and daughters to me. That's always been the cry of his heart. You know, in Jeremiah 3, verse 19, we read that, don't we? I thought you would call me father and not turn away from me. And so what happens is even uh, now, as she's called, and, and Adam, they leave the garden. They walk into an orphan life in union with this whispering being who's continually whispering lies to them, drawing them deeper into his web of deceit and, and orphan living. I wonder how God felt having to put them out there. Knowing what it was going to do to them. He knows the future of the human race here. He knows the pain that's coming, the suffering that's coming. And it's going to come to all of those that he loves. And so he shortens the years of our life. Because he knows that we can't cope with this. We weren't made for this. The wars, the starvation, the broken marriages, the poverty. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the suffering this is causing. And the only way possible is to put them out of the garden so that they don't eat from this tree of life and live forever. And it causes a great cry in his heart. A love, pain, anguish, I don't know. But it's a no to the suffering that's coming. It's a no that refused to abandon mankind to their fate. You see, I, I think that is the purpose of the law. The law is not a guidebook for living the law was the only way he could maintain relationship with Israel. 
with humanity. It wasn't about a code of living. It was about maintaining a relationship and he gave it to them in the format that that world at the time understood. It was part of that no that refused to abandon them to an orphan life on their own. They may not have understood that he wanted to father them. It was a no that was his, his plan of salvation. He knew what this orphan life would do to his children and he sent prophets to speak the, his word. But they couldn't adequately convey what he wanted us to hear. He sent kings and poets and prophets and, and all kinds of people, priests, to bear witness to him. But none of them could really convey what was in his heart. They could, they could speak the words, but they couldn't convey his heart. And so he sent ultimately his son. Because the son would not only say exactly what he wanted to say, but with the same emotion and heart that he wanted to say it with. He would be the perfect image of, of, of his father. He would be the exact representation of, of the invisible God who would only do exactly what the father told him to do and would only say exactly what the father told him to say. You see, Jesus came into this world for one reason, to, to reveal the father to us. If you think the gospel is about getting forgiven and escaping hell, your gospel is too small. And it's incomplete. Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father. Paul tells us that. He says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed this message of reconciliation to us. Jesus said, didn't he? Father, I have completed the work you gave me to do. But he says that before the cross. You see, he, he goes on to say, I have made your name known to them. And I will make your name known. He came to reveal the Father to us. If Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing and only speaks what he hears the Father speaking, then what we see Jesus doing tells us what Father is really like. He's not ignoring us. He's not turned against us. But he's kind. He's compassionate. He's embracing. He weeps over us. He sacrifices for us. It's incredible to suddenly understand this is who God really is. And what happens is this great cry of no to sin and, and to death and to destruction and corruption, it all comes out from the mouth of Jesus in John 14, 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You don't have to keep the law. You don't have to try and press in to obey me. I will come to you. And that's the whole story of Christianity. It's a father who's lost his children and he wants them back. It's not about getting your sins forgiven so you can have a blessed life and a successful ministry. That's an orphan way of thinking and behaving. It's all about me. But this whole story, this whole Bible, is about a father who weeps over an orphan world, an orphaned humanity, and he wants to come to us in the midst of it and open our eyes and see his love for us. And as we see who he really is and what love he has for us, we open our hearts to receive it. That his love pours into the brokenness of our hearts and heals the brokenness and loneliness of, of orphan living. That the, the feelings of failure and inferiority and the emptiness and despair, his love would come into our hearts and, and heal all of that, that sense of lostness and sadness. 
that our hearts would find a place to come home to in love. Like the boy being embraced by his father. We would find ourselves coming into the embrace of our father. See, this isn't a father heart message. This is the gospel. And it is a revelation for our hearts. You know, Jesus, Jesus is the mediator between men and God. What happens with a mediator is, so Andy and Rose have fallen out and I've gotten to know them and become a bit friendly with them. And so I, I say to Andy, what, what's going on with you and Rose? Why are you not speaking? He says, well, she had a party and didn't invite me. And I say to Rose, Andy's really upset because you didn't invite him to your party. And she said, what? I sent an invite. Oh, honestly, I, I, I don't know what's happened. I sent him one. So I say, listen, would it help if I go and speak to Andy and maybe you guys can get together for a coffee and I'll come along and keep everything okay? And so they agree to that. They say, okay, as long as you're there to keep it, you can intervene. And, and, it, and I say, okay, guys, listen, Andy, Rose didn't know that you didn't get your invitation or she would have, you know... And, and it turns out they realise this has been all been a big misunderstanding and, and, and they hug and cry and say, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, I love you. And, and I've mediated between them. But now that they are friends again, I am no longer a mediator for them. So Rose doesn't have to phone me and say, John, can you ask Andy if he's coming over for a cup of tea? And I phone Andy and say, Andy, Rose wants to know if you're coming for a cup of tea. And he says, can you phone her back and tell her that I'll come over? That's me mediating, but I don't have to do that anymore. Because they're back in relationship. And what Jesus did was bring us into a place where we could come back into relationship with the Father. And he's no longer our mediator. Not that, not that we relegate Jesus, but the nature of our relationship with him changes. And he, we suddenly realise he's our big brother. <laughs> and we have the same dad. And I've, I've truly become convinced if we do not yet know God as a father to us, then we have not yet come into the thing that Jesus died to give us. Let me say that again. If we do not yet know God as a father to us, then we have not yet come into the thing which Jesus died to give us. And I was asked once, John, can you be a little boy who needs to be loved? And I guess in my heart that's what I'd always been. I tried to be tough and I tried to be grown up and I tried to put everything, you know, be a man. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.